Hello, we are here today, Project Stand, bringing Kari Gardner. I hope I'm saying your first name correctly, Kari. Kari Gardner, yes. Kari Gardner um, from the University of Kentucky is here today with us with Project Stand um, with our inaugural podcast, and we are so happy to have Kari, Kari Gardner with us um, today. And I want to start by just asking you to uh, let us know just how you're doing today. Uh, I'm doing all right. Yesterday was my birthday, so you know, I'm blessed to see another year on this earth. Um, Happy you know, belated birthday! To, thank you. Uh, glad to celebrate it with uh, you know socially distant uh, <laughs> friends, but uh, you know, uh, just uh, glad that I get to continue doing what I'm doing and living my life. Um, so, if you could give us a little bit of background um, about yourself, like you're attending University of Kentucky. Um, what's your major? How did you end up at the University of Kentucky? Yeah, so I'm a senior management major in the Honors Social Enterprise Pathway here at UK. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I have, you know, UK has been my dream school for years. Uh, Honestly, I think the first time I ever thought about going to UK, I was watching a Wizards game when uh, they first drafted John Wall. I was like, oh, John Wall went to UK. So then (laughs) I looked more about it and, you know, I fell in love with it on the surface. I never got the chance to visit the UK before I came here, but, you know, um, it just called out to me, and, you know, they offered me a lot of scholarship money. They offered me great opportunities in the honors college and with the business school, and, you know, I just took the chance, and I was like, let me try something new. Came to Lexington. And what did you decide to major in at Kentucky? Management. Management. So we, we, you know, it's important that we do our little, our, our research, but, you know, when we bring in our uh, guests. So the little bit that I was able to read about you says that you did find challenges once you did start to attend campus and see what the climate actually was like. Could you share some of that with us? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it was kind of disheartening. Um, you know, this is, this is my dream school for the longest. I never got the chance to... Uh, visit or anything because it's so far and my family couldn't afford it or make the time to go out there. But uh, honestly, my first experience, bad experience uh, when I got on campus was actually during orientation, you know, stepped into some of the classrooms on campus where, you know, we just registering for your classes, meeting new people. And I'm the only African-American there. And it was, um, it was kind of, kind of disheartening. You know, I never had experienced that, that much lack of diversity. Um, you know, I went to school around 30, 40 minutes from where I lived in Maryland, you know, out in Howard County. Um, so, I mean, I was kind of used to some lack of diversity, but that, on the other hand, that really was just a, a culture shock for me. You know, it felt like all eyes were, were on you in the room whenever you walked in. Um, you know, I know my freshman year, I got called racial slurs uh, outside my dorm, taking trash out. I know my roommate got followed back to his dorm from getting something to eat in the middle of the street called racial slurs like it was definitely something that's shocking i didn't expect to be as overt when i got here but it quickly quickly became apparent you know that was part of the culture so i I, i'm i'm older than you so i don't even know if we're using this word anymore but like would you say that experience when you first got to campus like that's when you got woke or when you became more socially conscious or do you feel like you've always been in tune to these kind uh this kind of discrimination, but then those what you had uh, faced on campus kind of 
brought you into being either radicalized or deciding that you were going to be active and an organizer on campus? So, you know, I did some uh, some organizing work back in high school. Uh, you know, we we did some of the, some of the work to, you know, create diversity work streams in ACPSS. But, um, you know, I, it kind of fell off. You know, life comes at you. And there's a lot of things going on. And as I came to campus, I kind of felt disheartened. I wanted to transfer to uh, UMD our freshman year. And, uh, you know, luckily I had, um, well, I mean, I had my advisor who, you know, pushed me hard to stay. And she, uh, she gave me some more opportunities to try to find a space for me to be welcomed on campus. Um, but, you know, I feel like what really made me want to speak up, like what started this whole movement that we have going on right now on campus was my personal experiences this summer. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if everything going on, the COVID pandemic and, uh, and the country upborn over systemic racism, you know. I was at the protest in DC back in, in June when uh, President Trump, you know, he did the tear gas and sent everybody after us that one day where we weren't even being violent in Lafayette Park. Um, you know, after coming back from that, that, that night, I spoke to my friends and, you know, I was like, you know, I want to make a difference. I want to actually speak up and change something on campus. So, you know, we came up with ideas to really institute some real change and we wrote our letter and from there on, you know, it's just been a constant push forward from there. Mm-hmm. So then when you got back to campus and then like if you could take us into, because like I said, when we kind of talked a little bit earlier, you know, the whole point of these podcasts is like me and my role, as you spoke about UMD, you know, me being a university archivist, outside of the founder project standpoint being the university archivist at UMD, like that's our work is as we're hearing these stories and that definitely as a person who believes in social in a social justice lens through my profession, like we're hearing what's happening to our students. It's important that that's documented and that your stories are preserved and so that it's not erased or forgotten. And then that those who come after you, they have a path forward to know what's the next steps that might need to be to be done to, to, to continue the movement. So, you know, that's why we're doing, that's why we're doing this work. And again, just so thankful to be talking to you. So in thinking about that, like, and thinking about the campaign that you just did, can you let us know specifically, like, how did that campaign get rolled out? And then let us know about the responses that your institution had to the work that you were doing. So back in June, we drafted, you know, our first request to the university was just a simple, it was more or less, uh, it, was, it was a performative request. We asked the university, uh, Brianna Tozo, a UK alumni, we wanted, the university was building a new green space and park after, in, you know, they were tearing down a, a structure and replacing it with a new green space and park. And we asked the university, we got, we created a petition around 500 signatures at that time, you know, just to rename that space after Brianna Taylor. Um, and then following that, um, I myself was invited to a meeting with the student government, uh, in regards to some reforms or statements that the university police department could make. And in that meeting is probably the point where this, this movement transitioned into something larger than into what it is right now. Um, you know, I was, I was in the meeting and. Uh, somebody from the Graduate Student Council here at UK spoke to a fact that they highly wanted to deputize students <laughs> to be many police officers on campus. And that kind of, that, that, that was just so outlandish to me. So, so you know, read the room type, type situation there. And 
Um, I couldn't expect that that was what I was invited. I was invited to a meeting where they were discussing on whether or not to give frat boys badges to police campus. That was definitely something that took me off guard. So from there on out, uh, I reached out to some community organizations. Can I pause you for a second? Because I'm still stuck on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so who was suggesting? So you walk into the room. Who was suggesting that they would deputize students? <laughs> It was not. It was an idea. So somebody from uh, the graduate student uh, council organization here on campus suggested that, and then more the people from SGA, some of the people who invited me to that meeting, started agreeing, and I was like, "Whoa, I was like, whoa, we, we have we have got some different ideas on what to do to make campus police better." I was like, <laughs> "I was like, there's no way that you all think that this is a good idea," and they were dead set on it being a good idea. So I mean, at that point, I had to walk out that meeting and. Uh, and I decided I can't I can't be working as well from the inside with, with organizations who think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. So you know from there that's when I reached out to some of the outside community organizations like uh, the local Black Lives Matter uh, chapter here in Lexington. Um, reached out to the United Campus Workers Union here on campus, uh, Lexington House and Justice Collective. Uh, BSU, other student organizations, community organizations, and we, you know, we build a collective, and I asked them what are some problems that they see on campus, what are some issues that they think that the university administration needs to address in regards to all marginalized groups, which includes people of color, um, LGBTQ+, women, non-binary students, any student who's from a marginalized group, we wish to address their issues, so I reached out to every single group I could find that represents any group of marginalized students, and they gave me ideas on what they wanted to see, and that's when we came out with our first letter to the university, you know, with our comprehensive list of demands. Um, you know, you know, we're just asking for simple stuff. At the time, we asked for funding transition from the police department to um, restorative justice organizations here on campus, such as the Violence and Prevention Center and the Counseling Center. We asked for more accountability regarding sexual assault and racial and identity-based violence. Uh, we asked for um, transparency regarding those issues as well. We asked for more funding for access to diversity scholarships, LGBTQ plus scholarships. Um, we asked for stronger partnerships with community organizations. You know, we asked for a comprehensive list of things to make sure that students of color, uh, LGBTQ plus, and other marginalized students felt more safe, welcome, and appreciated on campus. Um, and from there on out, once we released our first letter, the university had, you know, in the media, they they brushed us aside, they pushed us aside, they weren't really direct on whether or not they were going to respond to us. Uh, so in July, uh, we had our first meeting with administrators. Uh, it was with Dr. Eric Monday, Dr. Kristen Turner. Eric Monday is the vice president of finance here at UK. Dr. Kristen Turner was at the time an associate provost. She's been promoted to something. I, I honestly don't know, but she's been promoted. Uh, and Chief Joe Monroe of the University Police Department. And at that time, you know, that meeting did not go well. Uh, it was me and some representatives from the United Campus Workers Union in that meeting. UK PD reached out to us and they wanted to discuss and for us to learn more about, you know, the police department's activities. Um, you know, it was kind of following some hostile, intense exchanges between us asking for open records. We had asked the university to release the university's police department, itemized police department budget. Uh, it took them a while to do that. They broke the law on that. Um, 
And, you know, there was some, there was some discrepancies and some errors, you know, how much we're funding, you know, they're getting $5 million to UKPD, but, you know, the VIP center, which handles, you know, counseling services for students who went through sexual assault only has a funding of $200,000. So it's definitely something that we wanted to ask about and ask about the number of discrepancy and some things that we wish would change. And then I mean, we asked questions, you know, I had information from sources that UKPD was, uh, had cooperation agreements with outside organizations like Immigrations and Customs Enforcement and the FBI, and that there's federal agents on campus on, on a regular basis. And this is from credible sources who were told this by um, UKPD. Uh, so, you know, they denied it. And um, they got really frustrated when we started asking questions like that and hammering on the fact that, you know, we feel like there's some real changes that could be made at UKPD. Like, yeah. And, you know, some of them got hostile and some of them got disrespectful. But, you know, we pushed on from there. That meeting ended. Um, later in July, we had another meeting with Dr. George Wright and Dr. He's the vice. He's the interim vice president of institutional diversity. Uh, shortly before that meeting, they had um, Dr. Sonia Feist Price. She was the former uh, president of institutional diversity here at UK. She left for a dean or she left for some some position at University of Michigan. Um, Congrats to her, but um, Dr. George Wright and um, again Dr. Kristen Turner. That meeting also went um, as expected. I mean, university did not budge onto exact changes that they were willing to make. Um, you know, I applaud Dr. Wright. I don't think he has any any ill will in his heart or his mind or his intentions. But I do think you know um, there's a lot of action that could be taken. I just had a meeting with him last. Friday, actually, about some of the stuff, you know, we, we spoke for a while on things we can do, but, um, you know, at that time, Dr. Wright and Dr. Turner, they weren't really clear with us about some of the initiatives that they were taking for institutional diversity before we come back, before the fall semester even starts. Like, we were wondering, like, has there anything, have they been doing anything over the summer to make this? What do they think about our demands? And it was a lot of, um, a lot of deflection and a lot of, um, a lot of, oh, we hear you, conversations like that. Oh, we're going to be a part of committees and things like that. Um, so that meeting was also another delay. So following that, we had given the university a two-week time frame to respond to our demands with a specific yes or no. Um, on August 3rd, that, that time frame expired, and we had given the university, we said, you know, it's time to escalate. So... You know, right after that, um, you know, they got into an intense exchange with us on Twitter. I don't know if you saw. Um, you know, we had tweeted some of the coronavirus opening concerns we had with UK. And we just made a simple thread detailing, you know, some of the concerns about lack of mandated repeat testing, some of the issues regarding mask enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. And UK had responded to us in a really condescending and disrespectful way off the official university Twitter account saying, interesting that we have more faith in students than you do. So at that point, you know, I thought the university has went mask off in conversations with us. They have shown their true colors and how they wanted to discuss with us. So, you know, we took the time to plan out our next escalation. And um, back on August 15th, shortly after I came, moved into my apartment here in Lexington, uh, we did banner drops, just detailing some of the stories of identity-based violence of students on campus. Um, Certainly, you know, UK did not did not appreciate that during moving weekend, but we made sure that those stories had to be told. Uh, it was 
three different banners detailing stories and one, one banner right in front of President Capilotto's, uh, I don't know how to call it, his house, his mansion on campus to, um, to, get, uh, to get, get some attention and just a call to action. And um, yeah, I mean, between then and the last week in August, that's when they, you know, they sent me that letter saying I had a code of conduct violation because of uh, because of the banner drops. But you know, UK walked that back after the immense support that the community shown for me and our movement for Black Lives organization. Uh, you know, we had NAACP come out. We had the Reverend CBA Kings. We had so many, so many wonderful community organizations and leaders come out in support of us and the work that we're trying to do. So you know. You know, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, a, a eventful few months with the, with the work, but it's definitely something that we've been continuing to work on. You know, we got some actions coming up in the near future, but yeah. Wow, so that's a lot. Like that's a lot. <laughs> I, um, I'm just trying to figure out like how are you processing? Like you're sitting like when you got that letter saying, oh. <laughs> We about you know we felt that you broke code kind of like how did you feel when you got that letter? I felt kind of you know um, I was disappointed because you know I, I wasn't something off the off the bed I was expecting because you know it was on a Friday night uh, well after the fact that the banners were dropped and you know the UK had put out a media statement right right after the banners were initially done and they were like oh we we listen to our students when there's any student hurts we hurts you know pr mumble jumbo but um you know i didn't expect them to two weeks two three weeks later say oh you're in trouble now because of this so it definitely felt like a um, a shady attempt to to silence and just a warning that you know we, we wouldn't like you to speak up so when you see i saw all that support coming out for you like what what did that do for you personally you know it, it it meant it meant the world to me I, you know it took a long time for me to find a space here at the university that made me feel welcome and appreciated and safe you know there's times where i would go back to my room and i would feel i, would, I wouldn't feel safe to go eat i wouldn't feel safe to go to university events and there was times where i didn't want to leave I didn't want to leave a block off campus because I felt like I was unsafe in the town because of who I was, my color, my skin. Um, so, you know, to just see all those people come out, all the, you know, faculty, staff, community members, just, it, it made me feel certainly appreciated. It made me feel like our work actually meant something and that people were taking notice. Um, so... I, I have to say, and I kind of feel like you probably heard this too, like when time has passed and you hear the stories of how change has occurred, no one thinks about what they're doing in that moment. You just know it's something that you need to do, uh, issue you need to address, right? So, like, do you think about what you were... Like, are you retrospective? Even in, even though it's happening right now, do you kind of reflect though and like think about? I want to make sure my story is documented. Are you doing anything to kind of, kind of self archive um, the work that you've been doing? Yeah, um, I do think it's important to, for this, uh, for what we're doing to be documented and to be you know, amplified and you know, saved. Um, I do, I do kind of self 
archive or do try to make sure that everything that we do is remembered and, and kept in some form, way, or shape, or form. But, um, you know, I've had the university archives at UK reach out to us. You know, they wanted to do something with uh, me and some of the other students I'm working with. And, um, you know, I'm glad. I'm, I'm fortunate enough that the news media has, you know, captured some of the stories and some of the work that we're doing in order to raise awareness as well. And I appreciate, once again, I appreciate you reaching out and giving me the opportunity in this platform to share the story as well. Um, it certainly is important for stuff like this to be saved and shared. You know, we're at a we're at a crucial time frame in our society, in our world. Like, I don't I don't expect another opportunity like this for us to come for us young people to really take the opportunities to change our future. Um, this is an apex of that moment. This is something that we can't let slip through our grasp, and we can't let people forget that you know, in the year 2020, all this might have happened, and the world might have seemed like it was ending, but there were people, and there were wonderful, wonderful-minded people with lots of different ideas on how to make this world better. I love that you said that, because I think, I mean, right, like so many people, it does feel so almost apocalyptic, maybe. It's <laughs> funny. You got the West Coast practically on fire. I mean, not practically, they are on fire. Um, yeah. So, and then we have a pandemic. And so, yeah, there is, for many probably feeling that there is a sense of hopelessness. And then for you to say, like, we're at this apex um, and that there's these people doing changes, trying to make t- tomorrow better. Like, I just love that you, even in the midst of that, like, that you're amplifying that there's people still trying to, to move us forward. Um, so just want to recognize that and say, and say thank you. Uh, for your work. Um, when you mentioned that your, the archives had reached out to you, part of the thing that we, you know, just from, from my seat in my space, like we want to make sure that our students, and specifically students of color and marginalized students, feel like you can come to us and have those conversations with us and help figure out how to um, make sure um, this this information isn't weaponized against you in any kind of way, um, as far as your narratives, and that again that that you feel safe saving your stories with us. Like, is there advice you would want to give to us in our profession to say how do we work with you and, and make sure you feel um, like we're people you can go to because we're a part of the institution that you're <laughs> that you have an attention with, and so we know that that's like ooh that's uncomfortable. Because um, we are seen, right, as an extension of the institution, like, you're a part of the problem. But, like, so how do you, how do us in our in our work navigate that and be able to, to make sure we can, that you feel that you can communicate with us? Yeah, so, I mean, um, you know, when UK Archives first reached out to me, I definitely, I felt a little like, ooh, like, I don't know if I want to, if I want to <laughs> give them some of the info. Um you know, because I read, I read the the documents they wanted me to sign. You know, they wanted to archive my website and pictures and stuff, and they were like, "Oh, well, you can have full full ownership of this once you sign this stuff." And I was like, "Whoa!" Was like, you know, maybe maybe later on, but not right now. I'm not signing this. Um, so, um, you know, it's definitely. Um, Definitely, like, the format that we're doing right now, I definitely appreciate. Like, this is something, like, I'm, I'm used to, I'm comfortable with. I don't feel nothing, no no animosity or nothing towards that regard, you know, this this format. But, uh, you know, uh, it's certainly, like, here and there, you know, I don't know if UKR is going to reach back out to me again. Um, 
I personally, I think I personally know the archivist now. I think I was in class with the archivist, so oh. <laughs> I think now I feel a little bit more comfortable giving them the information. But um, you know, it's it certainly is a a balancing act because you know, anytime I try, anytime someone, someone, uh, an administrator or somebody who's working in a specific department or somebody and UK reaches out to me that I don't know from like the union or anything, I certainly feel a little suspicious. Like the other day, um, the dean of the education college called me on my cell phone to talk to me. And I was really, I was like, whoa, I was like, what are you doing calling me? And, you know, I appreciate him reaching out because he just called me to say he stood in solidarity, appreciate the work I'm doing. So, you know, it's definitely something where I'm like, I, I, I got kind of second guessing the intentions of everybody who reaches out, but you know, um, as long as it's in good faith, I'm 100 percent down, and I know probably other student activists as well. And I, I don't think um, archivists have a have a have the mission of uh, the university's PR behind them. So it's mm -hmm. definitely it's something that I trust 100. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for saying that. I get that when so it, so I definitely feel like all of the paperwork maybe that was thrown at you for signing that might seem a little aggressive <laughs> maybe yeah. aggressive. um so you know probably just maybe just having conversations first and just us getting to know each other might might be a better way to start the to build the bridges first before we start throwing paperwork <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure because once, once i had a conversation with her i was like oh, oh okay she's mm -hmm. she's uh she's definitely down with the cause so i i, I definitely um you know, felt a little bit, a little bit better about it once, uh, once I spoke with her. So, so that's good. So that's that's good to know. Let's not start with the pen. <laughs> start with the combo first. Um, I do. Uh, when you kind of rolling back a little bit though, when you said we're at this apex, what do you do? You think it's because we're in the middle of a pandemic? Like, what do you think is different now? Like everyone's saying that, right? Like even our our elders. And the old guard who's like, I we I haven't even seen anything like this when I was out there marching in the sixties and seventies. Like what do you think is different now? And even though Black Lives Matter has been around for a minute now, why 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 do you feel people are paying attention more so now than maybe prior? So, um, you know, we have a we have a if he's not a white supremacist himself, we have a white supremacist compliant president we have a um government organization government as a whole you know not taking care of its citizens during the pandemic we have a pandemic a deadly pandemic we have systemic racism being exposed every day we have um certainly at the apex of you know economic situations you know especially with college you know higher education is at an all-time high in terms of cost we have um, uncertainty at every single corner in every single part of our life. Um, you know, the next day we don't know what is going to happen. We don't know if, if there's going to be an earthquake, climate change. We don't know if there's going to be another Jacob Blake. We don't know if there's going to be another Breonna Taylor. We don't know if we're going to wake up and Trump has an executive order to make him dictator for life. We don't know anything about what's going on in our society now. And I feel like it's different because this is all documented. Everything that happens is all documented. It's all in real time. Everything that everything that's changing in our world is in 
as second by second, we know we know as it's going on. It's not something that we can no longer, you know, avoid and put off and be like, oh, turn off the news, oh, stuff like that. Um, you know, people want to be more involved now. People want to be a part of the movements and part of change, you know. Um, I, I really feel like now people with privilege, you know, whether it be white people, whether it be me and me as a man, I have privilege, me as a cis person, me as a straight person, we all are recognizing that we all have different levels in our society and we don't want that to happen. Anymore. We want equality, we want equity, you know. I feel like, you know, um, they're wonderful people and our leaders, and, you know, black women, LGBTQ plus leaders, we have wonderful states, we have some wonderful states people, you know, one of my favorite people that I love to listen to all the time, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. She's so wonderful. Um, you know, we have people out there who are spreading the voice and amplifying it at, in a different way and different in different different ways and different methods that have never we've never seen before. You know, you can only imagine back in the 1960s if MLK was doing Instagram lives every day. You know, it certainly would have been a a, a new way to put the message out there, but a constant way to put the message out there. Um, people can't avoid it. And that's the main gist, you know. At every turn, you're going to see something that you don't like, and you have to decide, am I going to put up with it, or am I going to do something about it? Wow. So you gave a nod to AOC. If she ran for president, you would have voted for her. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> uh, um, I'm, not, I'm not one to be on the vote blue no matter who train, but I certainly... Uh, AOC is definitely somebody I look up to. You know, Charles Booker just ran his Senate primary campaign here in Kentucky. That's that's another man that I really look up to. Um, you know, uh, Bernie, so many other wonderful people, Ed Markey, so many people who who are recognizing that young people have a voice and young people young people should be listened to when it comes to our future. I like that you plugged in. Sometimes in the news try to make it seem like these kids ain't listening. <laughs> like, yeah. You ripping off some people and they listening. What are you talking about? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, that, that you are plugged in. Um, so my goodness, you you've been through a lot. Um so at this point in our convo, I wanna know like how are you recharging yourself? How are you um keeping that the spirits high? Um, your mind in a good place, your soul in a good place. Like, what are you doing for fun? What are you eating? Like, um, I was saying with you earlier, like, food is so important to to the movement. Um, and so it's, that has been true historically. So just, like, what are you doing for self Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I've been trying to get healthier in both terms of, you know, mindfulness and physical health, uh, you know, Back in the beginning of the pandemic, I certainly tried to try new different things to in my diet and uh, my and habits. You know, I tried to you know take life as as a day by day thing nowadays. Um, I'm blessed that I'm in such a where wonderful people are my roommates and then, you know people support me. I got wonderful friends, wonderful family, um, and a wonderful community with people who I know got my back. Um, that's something that I rely on every day. Um, you know, I'm wonderful that there's some wonderful black-owned businesses here in Lexington that, you know, I try every day to go to a, a new black-owned business to eat. Um, it's kind of expensive, but <laughs> it's something that I, I try to every day, um, you know, support support all my black-owned businesses here. 
Um, you know, Kentucky's kind of kind of got hard hit by the COVID nineteen pandemic, and um, so it's certainly something I try to help out with. Um, you know, we have a also. You know, I try to just any opportunity I get just to be thankful and just to remember the sacrifices that people before me give. That's something that really, really keeps me balanced, really keeps me going. Um, you know, I, 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 it's something small, but the other day I got to apply for my degree. Um, you know, I'm graduating this spring, so it certainly was. Uh, Congratulations. I, thank you. I, um, I teared up at that because, uh, you know, I know the sacrifices that everybody before me has given for me to get to this point. So, you know, just knowing what they gave up for me to get here and knows I got to keep pushing. You know? I got to make good choices in every single thing I got to do to get to where I got to be and bring my community along with me. Mm. Mm. That's so important. That's so, so needed for you to say. Um, I am going to push you, though, again. Like, if I, if I come down to Lexington, Kentucky, what are you going to recommend I eat that's good, that's at these black businesses that you go to? Um, there's a, um, uh, it's, it's called Al's Bar, but they got food there. It's um, by my barber shop. It's really good. Um, they got this uh, burger there. So good. Um, I love eating there. It's a nice barbecue truck over on the, it's off Winchester Road. That place is good, too. Um. You know, I I just be and I always ask my barber every time I get here. I was like, where should I go next? Where should I go next? And he always gives me good recommendations. So you know, um, you know, the black community certainly is out and about here in town, not around campus, but in other parts. There certainly are lots of uh, lots of black-owned businesses to support, lots of uh, community to to experience out there. Well, well, thank you, Kyrie. Um, I do want to let you have the floor as far as if there's anything you want to share with everybody at this point that may have not come through one of the questions that I asked and just a, a lasting note you might want to leave for everybody today. Well, I, you know, I just want to say, you know, I appreciate you reaching out. This means a lot. Our voices uh, certainly has to get amplified. And I'm glad, you know, I was the inaugural guest. That <laughs> certainly, that means a lot. Um, you know, um, once again, you know, this is definitely an apex point in our society for young people to really determine how they want to see our future go. Uh, once um, running from tear gas certainly puts a, put a different perspective on what you need to do um, and what you want to see your community be. So, you know, after that certainly made me really want to amplify my spirit again and amplify my community and make sure you know, all marginalized people have a seat at the table. And then, you know, if the table's not built for us, we're going to tear it down and build a new one until until it's right. So, you know, whatever we got to do to make change, we're going to do it. And there's no stopping now. That's a, that's a note to leave us on. Thank you. And I appreciate you. And thank you for being the light in this, in this chaos. Um, thank you so much. And I'm going to end this right there. Thank <laughs> you.